Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jardcast. With me today, um, I've got Jack and Dan. This is Adam speaking with you. Um, Russ, unfortunately, once again can't join us this week, but we are changing our recording schedule um, after this one, just so Russ can get involved again. It's because with his new job, his work hours are being very awkward at the moment, so it's uh, messing <laughs> when he does come to these sessions, unfortunately. But hopefully we'll have Russ back for the next episode. Um, today we're talking about something which has been an ongoing discussion in the UK for the longest time since it was first made uh, illegal and abolished back in 1969. Um, and Jack will be leading this one. So today we'll be discussing about capital punishment. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of radical feelings and thoughts when it comes to capital punishment, whether that's pro or anti it um so i think this could be quite an interesting one so jack if you want to uh, lead the way sure yeah so uh, welcome to this one on capital punishment uh, historically capital punishment has been used in every part of the world currently many countries have either abolished or discontinued the practice uh, the use of capital punishment is usually divided into four categories really so, um, 28% of countries, which is 54 countries, retain um, capital punishment in both law and practice. Uh, 28 countries, which is 14%, have abolished it de facto, namely according to Amnesty International standards, that they have executed nobody uh, during the last decade uh, or more, and are believed to have a policy or established practice of not carrying out executions. Um, 8 or 4% have abolished it de facto, namely that they have executed nobody during the last 14 or more years and have abolished it de jour, uh, but retain it for exceptional or special circumstances such as war crimes. And 105 or 54% have abolished it for all crimes, so they're no longer using capital punishment at all. Um, just as a quick um, FYI, de facto means a situation that's true in fact, but that's not officially sanctioned, whereas de jour uh, mean it's a situation that is in accordance with the law, i.e. that's officially sanctioned. Uh, since 2009, uh, Iran and South Sudan have executed offenders who were under the age of 18 at the time of the crime that was committed, uh, which does contravene the law, well, the, the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, in some countries, the practice of extrajudicial execution outside of their own formal legal frameworks occurs radically and systematically. Um, but so, and some countries also allow public executions still to take place, um, including Iran, Saudi Arabia, North Korea and Somalia. Um, so we're going to talk a bit more on uh, sort of close to home uh, with Europe. So in Europe, it's only uh, Belarus and two uh, unrecognised uh, republics, basically are in Ukraine called the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic um, that practice capital punishment. Russia still has the death penalty by law, but there is a, a moratorium, which is a delay or suspension in the law uh, to allow legal challenges to take place, and that is in place. And the last execution in the Soviet state was in uh, 1999 in uh, Chechnya, whereas it was 1996 was the actual last one in Russia. So uh, in Belarus, the primary method of execution is a shooting in the back of the head, 
So it's the only country in Europe to practice the, the death penalty, really. Uh, laws allow capital punishment for acts of aggression, uh, murder of a representative of a foreign state or uh, international organisation with the intention to provoke international tension or war, uh, international terrorism, genocide, crimes against the security of humanity, uh, murder with aggravating circumstances, terrorism, terrorist acts, treason that results in loss of life, conspiracy to seize power, sabotage, murder of a, uh, a police officer or a border patrol officer, uh, use of weapons of mass destruction and violations of the law and customs of war. So it's a pretty extensive list for what you can be charged with in Belarus. Whereas in Russia, um, the main method of execution, even though it's rarely used, is by firing squad. So currently in Russia, the criminal code of the Russian Federation uh, envisages that the death penalty for five crimes, which is murder with aggravating circumstances, assassination attempt against a state or public figure, attempt on the life of a person administering justice or preliminary investigations, attempt on the life of a law enforcement officer, and genocide. Um, so on the 16th of April uh, 1997, Russia signed the Sixth Protocol for the European Convention on Human Rights, but they have yet to ratify it. In 2009, in November, the Constitutional Court extended the aforementioned moratorium um, indefinitely pending ratification of the Sixth Protocol. Uh, the death penalty is still present uh, in the statues in Russia. So we're going to talk more on the UK's um, sort of history with capital punishment now. Uh, so the last execution here in the UK was 1964. Um, and the last execution on British services territory occurred in Bermuda, which was in 1977. Uh, so it was abolished for murder in 1969 in Great Britain. And in 1973 in Northern Ireland. Abolished for all uh, remaining offences such as high treason, piracy with violence and offences under military jurisdiction in the UK in 1998. Uh, the European Convention 13th Protocol was ratified in 2003, confirming uh, total abolition of the capital punishment. The most common method for uh, modern execution, say post-1800s, um, is hanging, uh, what was hanging in the UK. Uh, almost all towns or cities had a place of execution, like uh, gallows with a scaffold. Um, but other methods were also used historically, especially made famous during Tudor and Stuart era, um, such as the wheel, uh, hang uh, hanging, drawing, and quartering, beheading, and burning at the stake. Uh, Quick which were for question, only because yep. I don't know what it is. What is the wheel? The wheel is um, it's. I think they also call it the rack, which is where they're basically oh, yeah. stretched to, yeah. Yeah, not a pleasant um, way to go. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, there are a lot more sort of, it's, it's a lot more humane, um, even post sort of 1800 or post 1700 even, um, to sort of move from those kind of barbaric kind of uh, punishments to just hanging. Um, so, the, as I said, the last executions in the UK were hanging and it took place in 1964 for the crime of murder. Um, so it was two people who were tried for murder and then hanged. Um, and the last death sentence issue was in 1965, 
but the prisoner was later released in 1969 um, as uh, laws sort of changed. Um, so they were sort of released after serving a sentence. So only four advanced democracies, um, one of these, well, just one of these being a Western, Western country, still practice capital punishment. Uh, so these are Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, and the US. Um, so as it's most comparable to the UK, I thought we'd go more into the US. Um, so capital punishment is a legal penalty in the United States, uh, currently used by 28 states uh, and American Samoa, as well as the federal government and the military. It was the first nation to use lethal injection as a method of capital punishment. Um, the death penalty was also suspended in 1972, but was just uh, reinstated just four years later uh, in 1976. So from 1976 to uh, today, 16th of November 2020, uh, there have been 1,526 executions, of which 1,346 were uh, by lethal injection, 163 by electrocution, 11 by gas inhalation, three by hanging and three by firing squad. The South had the great majority of these executions um, with 1,245. Um, there were 189 in the Midwest, 86 in the West and only four in the Northeast. No state in the Northeast has conducted an execution since uh, Connecticut, uh, which is now abolitionist uh, in 2005. The state of Texas alone conducted 569 executions, over a third of the total. Uh, the states of Texas, Virginia and Oklahoma combined make up over half the total, with 794 executions between them. Eight executions have been conducted by the federal government at that time. And executions increased in frequency until... Oh, we seem to have lost him there. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see if we can get him back, but um, something which we can talk about while he's gone. Um, I think something which is quite interesting. Oh, I think oh, he's back. He's back. Yeah, back. We, yeah you, we, we lost you for a moment there, but I was going to say in oh, your absence, um, one of the things which I think would be quite interesting to talk about is obviously... In, as you said, 2003, but the source I've got here says it was in 2004, the 13th Protocol to the European Convention of Human Rights, uh, which came bound to the United Kingdom in 2004, uh, was prohibiting the restoration of a death penalty for as long as the UK is party to the convention. So obviously, with everything going on with Brexit, it will be interesting to see if we carry on adopting those rules or if we do leave them behind. And if we do leave them behind, we're now in a situation where legally we can put death penalty back on the table in the UK. It'll be so, interesting um, because I think there's a... I'd, well, I don't know. Would I like to think there's a vast majority of the UK that would bring that back? There's very much cause for it considering like today's like threat level climate and everything to do with like terrorism well, and stuff well i think yeah. it'll be worth running through all the details and information uh jack is going to tell us about america because that'll obviously give us the facts to arm ourselves to decide whether there'd be a decent argument in uk mm -hmm. or not but uh i thought i'd bring that up just while you disconnected jack to keep things flowing but uh yeah apologies it, for that 
No, it's okay. But I think that's a uh, interesting thing just that to really think about. Obviously, with everything going on recently with us leaving Brexit, obviously we're choosing to carry on some of the laws and rulings and policies from the European Union. And there's others which are also getting uh, rid of because if I remember correctly, Theresa May, while she was still in, she abolished, well, I don't know if she was successful or not, I have to check, but she was planning to abolish the Human Rights Act in the UK, wasn't she? Yeah, I vaguely so. recall that. Yeah, and I'll quickly check to see if she was successful or not uh, while you talk, Jack, so we can go back onto it later. Just obviously, well, we'll just apologise for Jack's video because it's a bit choppier than usual today. Yeah. Um, his audio seems to be pretty fine, so if you can just focus on his voice. <laughs> <laughs> Which ain't a problem if you're on uh, Spotify. <laughs> yeah, but for our YouTube followers, it might be uh, a bit annoying. Just We're working with yeah. what we've got, so... Yeah, Jack, do you want to carry on? Yeah, sorry for you that you have to focus on probably the most monotonous voice ever. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so so um, in 2016, I don't know if you, you heard, there was, there was only 20 executions that year, which was the, the fewest since 1991. Uh, there has been a small increase uh, since 2016 with 22 executions last year in 2019. Uh, one of the main arguments against the use of capital punishment in the United States is that uh, there has been a long history of some botched executions. Um, so there was a professor at yeah, the University of Colorado, um, Michael L. Radlett, um, described a botched, a botched execution as an execution that causes the prisoner to suffer for a long period of time before they die. This has led to the argument that capital punishment is uh, per se cruel and uh, unusual punishment. Uh, the following, uh, I've just prepared a short list of examples of botched executions that have occurred in the, the US. Um, so there is a person called William Kemmler, who was the first person to be uh, executed in the electric chair in 1890. And after being pronounced dead after 17 seconds, he was found to still be alive. Uh, the current was applied a second time for two minutes to complete the death. Uh, in Arizona, it took Joseph Wood two hours to die after being injected. In Alabama, the execution of Dulham was called off after the prison medical staff spent nearly three hours attempting to insert an IV that could be used to administer the lethal injection drugs. And in the process, the execution team actually punctured his bladder and femoral, art femoral artery, causing significant bleeding. In Florida, uh, Jesse Joseph Taffaro had flames burst from his hair during an execution, uh, execution in the electric chair. Wallace Wilkerson died after 27 minutes in pain after the firing squad failed to shoot him in the heart. Uh, because of this, the constitutionality of the firing squad was questioned. And the Supreme Court of the US affirmed that the firing squad did not violate the Eighth Amendment in this case. Uh, in New Mexico, Thomas Ketchum was decapitated when his body fell through the trap door during his hanging. Oh, yeah. In Mississippi, Jimmy Lee Gray... Uh, died after being in the gas chamber for nine minutes. During the procedure, Gray thrashed and banged his head against a metal pole uh, behind his head while struggling to breathe. Um, and Austin Surratt, a professor, a professor of uh, jurisprudence, jurisprudence and political science at uh, Amherst College, uh, in his book, Gruesome Spectacles, Watch Executions and America's Death Penalty, found that from 1890 to 2010, 276 executions were botched out of a total of 8,776. Um, so that's 3.15%, with lethal injections actually having the highest rate of uh, being able to be botched 
And uh, he also writes that between uh, 1980 and 2010, the rate of boxed executions was even higher at 8.53%. Uh, of course, there is a debate um, as to which is the correct approach to justice uh, with arguments both for and against uh, the use of capital punishment. Um, so I'll go into a couple of these. Uh, if you, you want to stop and discuss any of these while we go through, uh, please feel free. So the first one I'll, I'll bring up is um, against the use of capital punishment, which is the value of human life. So everyone thinks that human life is valuable. Some of those against capital punishment believe that human life is so valuable that even the worst murderers should not be deprived of their value of, of, the, of their lives. Uh, they believe that the value of the offender's life cannot be destroyed by the offender's bad conduct, even if they've killed someone, for instance. Um, some abolitionists don't go that far. Uh, they say that life should be preserved unless there is a very good reason not to. Uh, and that those who are in favour of capital punishment are the ones who have to justify their position. Um, so now, kind of a mixed point here with the right to live. Uh, everyone has an inalienable human right to life. Even those who commit murder, sentencing a person to death and executing them violates that right. Um, this is very similar to the value of life argument approached from the perspective of human rights. Uh, but of course, the counter argument is that a person can, by their action, forfeit their human rights and that murderers forfeit their right to life. Uh, another example will make this clear. A person forfeits their right to life if they start a murderous attack. And the only way a victim can save their own life is by killing the attacker. Um, so there's a quote from Thomas Aquinas, who was a medieval philosopher and who demonstrates his point. He says, therefore, if any man is dangerous to the community and is subverting it by some sin, the treatment to be commended is his execution in order to preserve the common good. Therefore, to kill a man who retains his natural worthiness is intrinsically evil, although it may be justifiable to kill a sinner just as it is to kill a beast. For as Aristotle points out, an evil man is even worse than a beast. And more harmful. So basically saying that in certain contexts um, that they can change a bad act, which would be killing a person, into a good act. Uh, so it's killing to repair the violation of justice done by the person killed and killing a person who has forfeited their natural worthiness by killing. So another point uh, against is of course the execution of the innocent. So it's uh, probably one of the most common and most um, sort of valid arguments against capital punishment is that sooner or later, innocent people will get killed because of mistakes or flaws in the justice system. So witnesses, where they're part of the process, prosecutors and jurors can all make mistakes. You know, we're, we're only human. It's in our nature to make mistakes. Uh, when this is coupled with flaws in the system, inevitable that an innocent person will be convicted of crimes. Where capital punishment is used, such mistakes can't be put right. Um, so Amnesty International say the death penalty legitimises an irrever irreversible act of violence by the state and will inevitably claim innocent victims. If human justice remains valuable, the risk of executing the innocent can never be eliminated. And that there is ample evidence that such mistakes are possible. In the USA, 130 people sentenced to death have been found innocent since 1973 and released from death row. Uh, the average time on death row before these exonerations was 11 years. 
things were made worse in the USA when the Supreme Court refused to hold explicitly that the execution of defendants in the face of significant evidence of innocence would be unconstitutional. However, many US lawyers believe that in practice the court would not permit an execution in a case demonstrating persuasive evidence of actual innocence. Uh, the continuous threat of execution makes the ordeal of those wrongly convicted particularly horrible. Uh, so now at point four um, would be the retribution aspect of capital punishment. Um, so a reminder of the basic argument behind retribution and punishment is that all guilty people deserve to be punished. Only guilty people deserve to be punished. Guilty people deserve to be punished in proportion to the severity of their crime. So this argument states that real justice requires people to suffer for their wrongdoing and to suffer in a way appropriate for the crime. Each criminal should get what the crime deserves and in the case of a murderer, what their crime deserves is death. Uh, the measure of a punishment in a given case will depend on the atrocity of the crime, the conduct of the criminal and the defenceless and unprotected state of the victim. Yeah, go ahead. Um, with this, what you're listing right now, where yeah. does this originate from? Uh, this is, I will link in the description. Um, I need to actually find the site that this is from. The only reason I say that is because everything you're listing right now, and I think it's an interesting one, because it does kind of link into the uh, vlog, which I did the other week, which is currently still being edited. Um, yeah. Justice is a word which changes depending on that culture's or that society's moral foundations. Mm. Um, it's very fluent to the idea of how justice should be delivered changes based on that. So when you're listing what justice is and how people should be appropriately punished, it's just for me quite interesting to find out where did these ideas you're talking about coming from because that's something mm. we can probably look deeper into and pick apart and it kind of gives us a wider understanding of why capital punishment in america if this is applied to america what you talk to right now is relevant in certain states yeah well i think this this research is all from um one person or just one organization's perspective so yeah is it is going to be they have its individual biases and everything and their own definition of justice is going to differ from other people's of course um so continue with with their point of justice um and this this was a quote from um the supreme court of india um the supreme uh, uh justices as anand and mp singh uh, quote justice demands that courts should impose punishment befitting the crime so that the courts reflect public abhorrence of the crime. Uh, many people find that this argument fits with their inherent sense of justice. It's often supported with the argument of an eye for an eye. Uh, but to argue like that, that demonstrates a complete misunderstanding of the actual phrase. Um, so that an eye for an eye was that only the guilty should be punished and that they should neither be punished too leniently or too severely. So another point against is people say that retribution is wrong. Um, many people believe that retribution is morally flawed and problematic in concepts and practice. Um, and vengeance, uh, to go on to vengeance, the main argument that retribution is immoral 
and that it is uh, just a, a sanitised form of vengeance. Um, scenes of howling mobs attacking prison vans containing those accused of murder on their way to, uh, to and from court and chanting aggressively outside prisons when an offender is being executed suggests that vengeance remains a major ingredient um, in the public popularity of capital punishment. Uh, but, but just retribution designed to... Go ahead. Uh, linking a bit with what you just said there, um, yeah. what was he called now? He was a serial killer who had the documentary at the start of the year and he's just had got Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, yeah. yeah. To link in with stuff you've just said there, it's kind of interesting because uh, when Ted Bundy was sent to death row on the day of his execution, um, I can't remember the name of the documentary now, but it's on Netflix, is really good. You had four blown street parties and everything going on celebrating his execution. Mm. And that's in America uh, as well. Was it Confessions of a Serial Killer? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good documentary. Um and I think it's quite interesting that just people celebrating the death of another human being when you consider that we all respectfully agree that death is quite a dark, grim thing and how capital punishment can allow people to celebrate the death of someone if they deem it reasonable yeah. to do so. Yeah, it's pretty grim. Yeah. But no, Kevin, I just thought I'd bring that up only because you were talking then about, um, I don't know if that was in India or elsewhere, where you were talking about people attacking the uh, police van which had the convict in who's been condemned to death row and attacking it and whatnot. I think that's been in, in sort of multiple places. I know of cases it's happened here in the UK, but also, of course, in America and, and stuff like that. It's interesting when you bring up points of, of uh, people like Bundy as well to see how the public favour changes so instantly. So, like before, he was sort of widely admired, even especially Bundy, with because he was so charismatic. But then, as soon as that came around, everyone was like, "Yeah, no, nah, fuck him." Well, there was a massive. Party. There was a massive population of women that wanted to see him survive, and said, "No, nah, yeah. look at him. He couldn't. He couldn't have been. He couldn't have been like that. Just look at him. He's attractive." Like, well, that's it. Yeah, you had two big way arguments about it because you also had that demographic of people of, uh, who believed he was guilty, but he still shouldn't be put to death because since this was like the first recognised psychopath killer, if I'm correctly, he was like the first one who was recognised and given that name of serial killer or psychopath killer. Um, a lot of people argued that he shouldn't be put to death. He should be kept alive as long as possible to be used as a invaluable resource of research to prevent yeah. future things like that from happening it's a very probably worth podcasting itself very complex case uh when it comes to ted yeah. bundy which i'm sure a lot of uh true crime podcasters out there have probably already deep dived into but it's quite interesting even when it comes to someone like ted bundy a psychopathic serial killer how drastic the, pu the public can swing whether they're in favor or against death penalty being put in place. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so another quote from a Victorian legal philosopher, uh, James Fitzjames Stevens. Um, he thought that vengeance was an acceptable justification for punishment. Um, he, uh, punishment, he thought, should be inflicted for the sake of the feeling of hatred, call it revenge, resentment, or what, what you will, uh, which the, the contemplation of such offensive conduct excites in healthily constituted minds. Uh, so more on, on retribution and the, and the innocent. 
Uh, the risk of execution of innocent persons is also a problem for the retribution argument. Um, if there is a serious risk of executing the innocent, uh, then one of the key principles of retribution, that people should get what they deserve, and therefore only what they deserve, is violated by the current implementation of uh, capital punishment in the USA and any other country um, where errors have taken place, of course. Um, but it is a unique kind of thing, the death penalty. Um, and it's argued that retribution is used in a unique way uh, in the, the case of the death penalty. Crimes other than murder do not receive uh, punishment that mimics the crime, really. Um, for example, well, they, they probably are um, in sort of prisons, possibly, but there is no sort of punishment that says uh, rapists are to be punished by sexual assault or rape. And the people are, who are guilty of assault um, are, should be ceremoniously built, beat up or something like that. Um, so Camus and uh, Dostoevsky um, argued that the retribution in the case of the death penalty was not fair uh, because the anticipatory suffering of the criminal before execution would probably outweigh the anticipatory uh, suffering of the, the victim for their crime. Uh, and others argue that retribution uh, argument is flawed because death penalty delivers a double punishment that they execute. Yeah, go ahead then. So you're talking about um, that then, um, how it's not fair. But if you've hmm. seen some of these like interviews with like people that are on death row, it's not a sense, yeah. you don't get a sense that they're anxious for it. You get a sense that, you know what, it's more it's more acceptance that's coming from them yeah. than anything. They're like, you know what? I'll we'll be honest. Yeah, I did this, and yeah. they usually do apologise to the people, the victims, families, and stuff, and then they get the yeah. job done with. Mm. So it's very interesting psychology that is, because mm. anticipation doesn't usually seem to be coming from them, or like anxiety, yeah. the anxiety of it approaching i mean that yeah. how long how long do they usually have to wait before they get executed it's quite a long time isn't it i mean i think back in the 70s it was 11 years i mean now it's even worse from i did watch some i can't remember what the documentary was called recently i think it's just um interview something like interviews on death row and i think there was someone on there for 19 20 years something like that Oof. but i do know what you what you what you mean though with with them there is sort of a sense of this is just kind of like a cycle they need to they're just waiting to finish now yeah i do get the you know, um the uh innocents are gonna end up dying i mean mm. I, I i can't recall names but i've remember hearing of a case in america where a man was um charged and uh given the death penalty for a murder that he actually didn't commit because the witnesses that come forward uh, there was two witnesses that come forward to say that he'd murdered his neighbour, but it turns out it was the two witnesses that actually killed the neighbour. Oh so I think he was on death row for something like, I think, oh, don't quote me, but it was a, it was double digits. It was probably yeah. between 10 and 20 years, something like that. And eventually he was found innocent and then they were released. But like, yeah. I think they get massive compensation as well if that kind of thing happens. I mean, it's not going to replace the time that you have been, of the time you've lost life, but... Yeah, of course. I mean, it's 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 sort of similar to... I re-watched uh, Making a Murderer recently uh, with the whole Stephen Avery thing, and it was sort of like... He, he think he served 17 years or something, 
and they did sort of offer him this big cash payout and he, he did try to sue them to take more but he did sort of when he got his second conviction um for another murder he's still currently in jail for um he said i'll drop the case i, I don't want the money just you can forget the money i just want it for my freedom which i think is a big thing for people in there who have been sort of locked up and had a taste of freedom then after so long to go back in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they... in that documentary, though, sorry to interrupt you again, apparently in that yeah, no. um, making a murder, there's massive bias from the documentary makers. I haven't actually seen oh, yeah. it, I do need to watch it. Yeah, there, there is sort of things, I did some reading online as well, so you, you do have to sort of take everything with a pinch of salt in the documentary. Because there is sort of key evidence that they do just kind of go, you know, it's not real, whereas it it's pretty damning to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so people do argue that the, the death penalty delivers a double punishment, um, that of the execution and of the preceding weight, uh, and that this is a, mis a mismatch to the crime. Many offenders are kept waiting on death row for a very long time. Uh, so in USA, sorry, the average wait is 10 years. Uh, whereas in Japan, the accused are only informed of their execution moments before it's scheduled. <laughs> the rest of the result of this each day of their life is lived as if it was the last Christ. so it's a quite different kind of anticipation kind of thing yep. you, you're you gonna die today result. <laughs> yeah essentially jesus yeah um so they also argue that capital punishment is not uh, operated uh, retributively so some lawyers argue that capital punishment is not really used as retribution for murder or even consistently for a particular kind of murder. They argue that in the USA at least, only a small uh, minority of murders are actually executed uh, and the imposition of capital punishment on a capriciously selected random handful of offenders does not amount to the consistent programme of retribution. Since capital punishment is not operated retributively, it's inappropriate to use retribution to justify capital punishment in that way. Uh, this this argument would have no value in a society that applied the uh, death penalty consistently for particular types of murder. Um, so I argue as well that capital punishment is not retribution enough. You know, some people believe the notion of retribution are against capital punishment because they feel the death penalty provides an insufficient retribution, and they argue that they argue that life imprisonment without possibility of parole causes much more suffering to an offender than a painless death after a short period of imprisonment. Uh, another example is the, the planner of a suicide bombing, for example. The execution uh, might make that person a martyr, and therefore it'd be a lesser retribution uh, than a life imprisonment. It's also a failure to deter um, in, in some arguments uh, that say that argue against death penalty, um, in that it doesn't seem to deter people from, from committing violent crimes. Um, the thing that deters is the likelihood of being caught and punished. Mm. So the general consensus among social scientists is that uh, the deterrence effect uh, of the death penalty is uh, at best unproven. Oh, that's it. 19... But most yeah. criminals commit a crime because they think they're going to get away with it. Criminals don't yeah. often commit a crime thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to get caught. So it, it makes sense it doesn't work as a deterrent because if you're very convicted to murder someone and you're going to kill someone, you're going to do so in such a way to make sure oh, it's doing it. works, then oh. the death penalty... Oh, yeah, hello. Sorry, you just cut out a bit then. <laughs> oh, sorry. But 
um, yeah, if if you are doing it, planning not to get caught, it's not going to act as a deterrent because the whole plan is you don't get caught, and if you don't get caught, you're not going to face capital punishment. Yeah. Um, fear in itself doesn't stop crime because what drives crime is desperation, depending on yeah. the situation. And the thing is, and, you, des- you've, you've and desperation to, overrides fear. You've got to look at these people. Like, if if you are premeditated, if you are going to commit a premeditated murder like that. You have to have some kind of imbalance to be able to even contemplate it. Like yeah. fucking punishment, you're not going to care about it because you're going to have the inherent need to go out and literally cause suffering on someone. So it doesn't matter if you die at the end of the day because you've got that kick out of fucking murdering someone. It's, it's, it's like, not it's necessarily. Like... It's not necessarily a kick. It depends for. A motive as well. Your motivation yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. But if we look at serial killers and stuff, they do have pretty much an inherent need to cause harm. Yeah. Like it's just wired into them, and it starts at a young age, as the research does show. So. Yeah. Yeah. In, in they did a, they did do a, a survey in 1988. Um, the the UN was. Um, uh, to determine the relation between death penalty and homicide rates. Uh, it concluded that researchers failed to provide uh, scientific proof that executions have a greater deterrent effect than life imprisonment. Uh, such proof is unlikely to be forthcoming anyway. Uh, the evidence as a whole still gives no positive support to the deterrent hypothesis. Uh, the key to true and real deterrence is to increase the likelihood of detection, arrest and conviction. Uh, the death penalty is a harsh punishment, but it's not harsh on crime. Uh, so it's actually impossible to test the deterrent effects of uh, punishment in a rigorous way, uh, as to do so would require knowing how many murders would have been committed in a particular state, if the law had been different during a, at the same time period. Uh, but for the death penalty with deterrence, um, capital punishment is often justified with the argument that by executing convicted murderers, we will deter would-be murderers from killing people. The arguments, uh, obviously... I've just mentioned, sort of, disprove this. But there is sort of people who still argue the point. So there's a cardinal called Avery Dulles. Uh, he quotes, uh, executions, especially where they are painful, humiliating, public, may create a sense of horror that would prevent others from being tempted to commit similar crimes. In our day, death is usually administered in private by relatively painless means, such as injections of drugs, and to that extent, it may be less effective as a deterrent. Sociological evidence on the deterrent effect of the death penalty, as currently practiced, is ambiguous, conflicting, and far from probative. Um, so some proponents of capital punishment argue that capital punishment is beneficial, even if it has no deterrent effect. If we execute murderers and there is no, fa- no deterrent effect, we have killed a bunch of murderers. If we fail to execute murderers and doing so would, in fact, have deterred other murderers, we will have allowed the killing of a bunch of innocent victims. I would much rather risk the former. This, to me, is not a tough call, which is uh, John McAdams. Um, so, as we've talked about, deterrence is obviously a morally flawed concept. Um, even if capital punishment did act as a deterrent, is it acceptable for someone to pay for the pre- predictive future crimes of others? Some people argue that what one may as well punish innocent people as it will have the same effect. 
This isn't true if people are randomly picked off the street and punished as scapegoats. The only consequence is likely to be that the public will be frightened to go out. To make a scapegoat uh, scheme effective, it will be necessary to go through the appearance of legitimate legal process and to present evidence uh, which convince the public that the person being punished deserved their punishment. While some societies have operated their legal systems on the basis of fictional evidence and confessions extracted by torture, the ethical objections to such a system are sufficient to render the argument in the second paragraph pointless. Uh, so there is also an argument that it's brutalising society. Um, so to start, it brutalises individuals. Statistics show that the death penalty leads to brutalisation of a society and an increase in murder rate. Uh, in the USA, more murders take place in the states where capital punishment is allowed. In 2010, the murder rate in states where the death penalty had been abolished was 4% for uh, 100,000 people. In the states where death penalty is used, the figure was 5%. Uh, these calculations are based on the figures from the FBI. The gap between death penalty states and the non-death penalty states rose considerably from 4% difference in 1990 to 25% in uh, 2010. Uh, so disturbed individuals may be angered and thus more likely to commit murder. It is also linked to increased number of police officers murdered. A capital punishment may also uh, brutalise the state. Um, so there's a quote from uh, George Kateb from the Inner Ocean. says, uh, the state's power deliberately to destroy innocuous uh, through guilty life is a manifestation of the hidden wish that the state be allowed to do anything that it pleases with life. Uh, and finally, it brutalises the law. Uh, so capital punishment is said to produce an unacceptable link between the law and violence. Uh, but in many ways, the law is inevitably linked with violence. It punishes violent crimes and it uses punishments that violently restrict human freedoms. Uh, philosophically, the law is always involved with violence and that its function includes preserving an ordered society from violent events. Nonetheless, a strong case could be made that legal evidence, uh, sorry, legal violence is clearly different from criminal violence uh, and that when it's used, it's used in a way that any, everyone can see it's fair and logical. So there's argument that it also lowers the tone of society. So civilised societies do not tolerate torture, even if it can be shown that torture may deter or produce other good effects. In the same way, many people feel that death penalty is inappropriate for a modern civilised society to respond to even the most dreadful crimes. Um, because most countries, but not all, do not execute people publicly, Capital punishment is not a degrading public spectacle, but it is still a media circus receiving great publicity so that the public are aware of what's being done on their behalf. However, this media circus takes over the spectacle of public execution in teaching the public lessons about justice, retribution and personal responsibility for one's own actions. So a, an argument against, um, sorry, for the use of capital punishment is, of course, rehabilitation. Uh, capital punishment doesn't rehabilitate the prisoner and return to society. But there are many examples of the persons condemned to death taking the opportunity of the time before execution to repent, express remorse, and very often experience profound spiritual rehabilitation. Um, so, again, Thomas Aquinas noted that by accepting the punishment of death, the offender was able to uh, expiate his evil deeds uh, and so escape his punishment in the next life. 
this is not an argument in, in favour of capital punishment, but it does demonstrate that the death penalty can lead to some forms of rehabilitation. Uh, but the, the main sort of argument for rehabilitation um, is that capital punishment will will prevent reoffending. So it's undeniable. Uh, those who are executed cannot be, uh, commit further crimes. Many people don't think this, this is a, a sufficient justification for taking human life. I argue that there are other, other ways to ensure that uh, offenders do not reoffend, uh, such as imprisonment for life without possibility of parole. Although there have been cases of persons escaping from prison and killing again, um, but these are extremely rare. Uh, but some people don't believe that life in prison without parole protects society adequately. The offender may no longer be able to be a danger to the public, but he does remain a danger to the prison staff and other inmates, for example. So execution would remove that danger. And there's an argument about closure and vindication as well. So it's, it is often argued that death penalty provides closure for victims' families. Um, but this is, again, it's quite a flimsy argument uh, because... Each, you can't sort of gauge a family's reaction. Every family will react differently. Uh, some families don't feel that another death will provide closure. Um, and it, it doesn't provide justification for capital punishment as a whole, um, to, to say this. Um, there is the expense argument as well. Um, so in the USA, capital punishment does cross cost a great deal. Uh, for example, the cost of convicting and executing Timothy McVie for the Oklahoma City bombing was over $13 million. In New York and New Jersey, the high cost of capital punishment were one factor on those states' decisions to abandon the death penalty altogether. Uh, as New York spent about $170 million over nine years and had no executions, New Jersey spent $253 million over a 25-year period and also had no executions. So in countries with a less costly and lengthy appeals procedure, capital punishment seems like a much cheaper option um, to, to long-term imprisonment. Um, so, the counter-argument, of course, um, it is a fallacy that capital punishment costs more than life without parole, and justice cannot be thought of in financial terms. Um, but again, we get an argument of, uh, for against capital punishment of people not being responsible for their actions. Um, so this is, is an argument against capital punishment, uh, but against applying it wrongly. Uh, some countries, including the US, have executed people who have been proven to be insane. It's generally accepted that people should not be punished for, for their actions unless they have a guilty mind, which requires them to know what they're doing and that that thing that they've done is wrong. Uh, therefore, people who are insane should not be convicted, let alone executed. This doesn't prevent insane people who have done terrible things um, from being convicted, um, but they should also be just confined in secure mental institutions and for, for public safety, not to punish the insane person. To put it more formally, it's wrong to impose capital punishment on those who have at best a marginal capacity for deliberation and for moral agency. A more difficult moral problem, though, is uh, in the case of offenders, who were sane at the time of their crime uh, and trial, but who uh, later develop signs of insanity before execution. Um, there's also been a lot of concern in the US 
that flaws in the judicial system make capital punishment unfair. Uh, one Supreme Court justice, um, who had originally supported the death penalty, eventually came to the conclusion that capital punishment was bound to, uh, to damage the cause of justice. Um, so it was, his name was Justice Harry uh, Blackman. Um, in 1994, he said the death penalty remains fraught with arbitrariness, uh, discrimination, caprice and mistake. Experience has, has taught us that the constitutional goal of eliminating arbitrariness and discrimination from the administration of death can never be achieved without uh, compromising an equally essential component of fundamental fairness and individualised sentencing. Jurors in the US, uh, the, the death penalty uh, cases must be uh, death eligible. Um, this means that the prospective juror must be willing to convict the accused, knowing that the sentence of death is a possibility for them. Uh, this results in uh, a jury biased in favour with the death penalty sometimes, since no one who opposes the death penalty is likely to be accepted as a juror. Uh, also, there is a lot of concern in the USA that the legal system doesn't always provide uh, poor accused people with good lawyers. And out of all re-offenders who are sentenced to death, three quarters of, of those um, who are allocated a legal aid lawyer can expect execution, uh, a figure that drops to just a quarter if the defendant could afford to pay for a lawyer. So one of the final arguments against the death penalty is that it's cruel, inhumane and degrading. So regardless of the moral status of capital punishment, some argue that all ways of executing people cause so much suffering to the condemned person that they are meant to torture and are wrong. Many methods of execution are quite obviously likely to cause enormous suffering, such as execution by lethal gas, electrocution or strangulation. Other methods have been abandoned because they were thought to be too barbaric uh, or because they forced the executioner to be too hands-on. These include uh, firing squads, of course, and beheading. So many countries uh, that use capital punishment have now adopted lethal injection because it's thought to be less cruel for the offender and less brutalising for the executioner. Um, but people also argue that this method has serious moral flaws and should be abandoned because the Obviously, the first flaw is that it requires uh, medical uh, personnel being uh, directly involved in a killing rather than just uh, the, the, the execution has terminated life. Um, so this is a fundamental uh, contravention of medical ethics. And the second flaw is that uh, research in 2005 showed that lethal injection is not nearly as humane as had been previously thought. Uh, so post-mortem findings indicated that levels of anaesthetic found in offenders were consistent with wakefulness and the ability to experience pain still. So there's another sort of political argument as opposed to an ethical one um, based on the political principle that a state should fulfil its obligations in the least invasive, harm, uh, harmful and restrictive way possible. The state does have an obligation to punish crime as a means to preserve an orderly and consented society, but it should do so in the least harmful way possible. Uh, capital punishment is the most harmful punishment available, so the state should only use it if not if no less harmful punishment is suitable. Other punishments will always enable the state to fulfil its objective punishing crime appropriately. Uh, therefore, the state should not use capital punishment 
one way of settling the issue is to see whether states that don't use capital punishment have also been able to find other punishments that enable the state to punish murderers in such a way as to preserve an orderly and consensus society. And if these do exist, then the capital punishment should be abolished as it's unnecessary. Um, 1.4, though, is a rare one to hear, but there is incentive to help the police. Um, so plea bargaining is at all used in most countries. Um, it's a process through which a criminal gets a reduced sentence in exchange for providing help to the police. Uh, where the possible sentence is death, the prisoner has the strongest possible incentive to try and get their sentence reduced, even to life imprisonment without possibility of parole. And it's argued that capital punishment, therefore, gives a useful tool um, to the police to use in these cases. Um, but it is a very sort of feeble justification um, as to why it could be used. Uh, it's similar, uh, similar to arguments that torture is justified um, as it's a useful tool to the police. Finally, just on uh, free will, talk uh, against again. Um, the idea that we must be punished for any act of wrongdoing, whatever its nature, relies upon a belief in human free will and a person's ability to really be responsible for their own actions. If one does not believe in free will, the question of whether it's moral to carry out any kind of punishment, conversely reward arises. Um, so Kostler and Darrow argue that um, human beings never act freely and thus should not be punished even for the most horrific crimes. The latter went on to argue for the, abol uh, the abolition of punishment altogether, an idea which, of course, most people would find problematic. Um, so just to, to end up... Um, to move away from the states um, to a point on Japan, um, on to, to how they kind of do things over there with their capital punishment. Um, so Japan uses a death penalty sparingly, executing about three people in a year. Uh, a unique justification for keeping punishment has been put forward by some Japanese psychologists who argue that it has an important psychological part to play in the life of the Japanese people who live under severe stress and pressure in the workplace. Uh, the argument goes that the death penalty reinforces the belief that bad things happen to those who deserve it. And this reinforces the contrary belief that good things will happen to those who are good. In this way, the existence of capital punishment provides a psychological release from conformity and overwork by reinforcing the hope that there will be a reward in due time. Oddly, this argument seems to be backed up by Japanese public opinion. Um, those who are in, in favour currently comprise 81% of the population, or that's uh, the, the official statistic. Nonetheless, there is also a small but increasingly uh, sort of angry abolitionist movement in Japan. Um, from an ethical viewpoint, um, this is a totally consequentialist argument that if executing a few people will lead to uh, an aggregate increase in happiness, and that is a good thing. Yeah, um, I just want to really ask what is your view in the peer on all of this? Because obviously, I think you've been speaking almost 20 minutes uninterrupted now. But yeah. obviously, reciting facts and everything is brilliant. Mm. But it's not really a discussion if all we're having is just facts regurgitated. Oh, um, of course, yeah, I agree. So really, I kind of... I think we've had enough facts. We'll have more facts yeah. if necessary. Being along, 
I just want to think know what your view and opinion is on the death penalty and everything, really. My view that is that it does have its place. I would um, I would agree that it could be reintroduced into um, British law, um, but again, I, I know there is a lot of points um, that argue otherwise. Um, but I think it is uh, a good tool for punishment at the end of the day. See, it's um, for me, I always believe that we handle the criminal justice system incorrectly in the UK altogether. And I know a lot of what you've talk, been talking about today as well. It seems to be hardcore based more so in the punishment aspect. Um, America in itself has massive problems when it does come to prisoners and reoffending. I did have a statistic on earlier and I've accidentally clicked away, so if I get it up. Um, so if we look at reoffending rates, uh, the US has one of the highest reoffending rates of 76.6% of their populace. So wow. if you commit one crime or you go to prison one time, there's a 76.6% chance that you're committing a crime again in America. And we've been talking a lot about the American uh, justice system. And clearly, if they've got that such high rate of reoffending, surely having a system where capital punishment is involved as well, it's not working. Um, I'm a firm believer that the judicial system should be more based on rehabilitation. It should be punishment to part extent. You've committed a crime. You've caused harm to someone or peoples. Um, so you need to be punished respectfully in line with that. But I think a huge part of the judicial system should be based on rehabilitation. Uh, I ain't got the stat up, but I can find the stats at some point. Um, yeah. It's been proven that most people who do take part in criminal activity, it's mainly based due to either any kind of mental health issues they may have through economic distress or poverty or through lack of education. So I think when you're looking at criminals, it's important to look at the motive and what's been going on when you're dealing with the sentencing, because end of the day, um, a great example is if you've got a thief and they're committing theft because they're poor and they need to steal in order to survive when you do have countries for example in the middle east which will punish you for thievery by cutting off your hands you don't really solve the problem no. um and obviously with that demographic being obviously uh people who commit crime can be due to financial distress. Financial distress can also be caused by lack of education. You've got the demographic commits coin due to lack of um, education. So when you start looking at that and thinking, okay, well, how can you prevent reoffending? The country with the least reoffending rate in the world is Norway, with a 20% reoffending rate. And Norway, I don't know if you've ever read into Norway prisons, but Norway prisons are pretty much a college. When you go to prison in Norway, it's expected of you to learn and educate yourself for as long as your sentence. So if you pass something, you get a qualification of something while you're in prison, for as long as your sentence is, you're expected to pick something else up and carry on learning. So that way, when your sentence is over and you're released back into society, you are rehabilitated both in a sense of your behaviour 
and also you've now got the set of educational and life skills you need to go out and get a job. And in Norway, it's a huge part in their culture where they don't discriminate against criminals when you are looking for jobs. I think that's another reason why you've got such a high reoffending rate in America, because obviously in America, criminals have a very high stigma. And it's that yeah. hereditary of a criminal record. If you have a criminal record, it's hard to find employment. In yeah. Norway, you don't have that. Um, I've got a few articles here. Here we go. So Norwegian prisoners, uh, a report by Eikland Manga and Abjornsson in 2016, has stated that the highest education level of half of prisoners in Norway is comparable to primary school education which is compared to 26.9% of the average population. So that in itself shows a kind of education you're dealing with when you do have criminals. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. Um, obviously, when it comes to murder and whatnot, it is a lot more difficult. But I know um, Varg Vikernes, um, for those who know who Varg Vikernes is, um, he was the guy from a black metal band who was infamous for his church burnings and he stabbed his guitarist to death 36 times with a knife and then chucked him out the window, wasn't it? Maybe uh, 23 times, but yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. Anyway. He served a sentence of 20 years in prison. And I've got it up here. I think from at that time, the longest sentence you can give be given in prison in Norway is something like 26 years for murder. Um, I did have it up and I've completely lost it, but I can share all the resources anyways, so people can have a look at it uh, in their own is. time. I will, if I can just interrupt, I think it is because yeah. wasn't Andreas Brevik Norwegian? I was about to search Brevik, yeah, I think it was 26, 27 years. He was... So, he so was, I've got here, yeah. Go longest sentence allowed in Norwegian prisons is 21 years, although the new penal code allowed for 30-year maximum sentence for crimes related to genocide, crimes against humanity, or war crimes. Um, so that would be where Andres Brevik comes in because he committed an act of genocide, didn't he? Um, but Varg has only served 20 years in prison. And he's talked about it each time in prison as well, where they constantly get you to keep on learning. Um, and he's not re-offended either. And I've got it up here in this article. Um, the ones who do mainly re-offend have you know, the greatest recidivism rate among persons charged with drug crimes, theft and violence. So it's mainly a violent, you know, people are still in a desperate situation once they come out who are still re-offending. So really, when you look at it, you want to equip those people as much as possible to reintegrate back into society because that's the biggest impact when it comes to punishing people. Obviously, you want to probably punish them for the crime, but you also want them to be able to reintegrate because if they don't reintegrate, the only thing you've got to fall back on is to commit further crimes. Yeah. Um, obviously, you put it in your own argument when it comes to the death sentence of murderers, you don't have to worry about that because if they're dead, they don't need to be rehabilitated, they don't need to be reintegrated, and they're not at risk of reoffending because you've killed them. Um, and it comes into this area, really, of you need to have that balance between looking at someone and trying to figure out, can they be rehabilitated or are they a lost cause? Yeah, that was my, going to be my question to you, actually. Do you not think that there are some people who can't be rehabilitated? 
there's definitely people who can't be rehabilitated, definitely. But I think it comes down to this thing of it depends on the severity of the crime. For example, if it's someone who's yeah. committed genocide, me personally, I think that's beyond rehabilitation. Um, when it comes to things like murder or manslaughter and stuff like that, I definitely think capital punishment is over the top, only because, like I said earlier, uh, earlier on, murder can come from a different series of motives. Um, yeah. Like, for example, if, say, because stuff like this has happened before, um, I believe there's a case of it in America where someone's um, younger brother was a meth addict and he'd approached the local dealers and asked them if they could stop selling meth to his younger brother for the because he's got an addiction. And as you can probably guess from drug dealers, they pretty much laughed at him and beat the shit out of him. So what he did in retaliation was he committed arson and burnt down the meth lab. And as part of burning down the meth lab, he did actually kill some of the dealers in there. Mm. Uh, the state where it happened, a death penalty for manslaughter isn't a thing. But he was still given quite a harsh prison sentence, if I remember correctly. I'll, I'll see if I can find all of this out, because uh, the band Earth Crisis did a whole entire song about it, because they believed he shouldn't have served incarceration whatsoever, because he was doing the local community a favour by burning down the meth lab and killing a drug dealer. Um, but it comes into this thing of different people can commit crimes for different reasons, and there is no kind of... You can't just brand all crimes as the same. Each crime is an individual circumstance, and each individual crime needs to be evaluated as its own standalone circumstance. So when it does come to murder, I think there's times where people have committed murder. For example, if that guy, instead of doing arson, decided to kill that drug dealer, that is premeditated murder. But should he be given the death sentence for killing someone who is already causing harm to the community, causing harm to his brother, and he's even tried to speak to that drug dealer and say, I'm not going to report you to the police or anything, I just want you to stop selling drugs to my brother, gets the shit kicked out of him, so he decided to take justice in his own hands. That's vigilantism. But is vigilantism inherently wrong? I think vigilantism in itself is a separate conversation. But vigilantism where it's not misguided, it's actually in the right place and right circumstances, should be punished. But in states where you do have capital punishment, it would be. But that person can easily be rehabilitated to be taught that vigilantism isn't acceptable. And you can send him into prison, you can make him serve a sentence, you can rehabilitate him, you can re-educate them. When you have someone like Ted Bundy, entirely different matter. You can't rehabilitate them. And that's the thing. I think capital punishment does have its place, but it should be reserved for the most extreme. If you're a murderer, and say in Norway, well, we'll apply the Norway model, but add capital punishment on as a spicy extra. Um, if you commit murder, you're sent to prison for 20 years, you do your rehabilitation, you're released, and then you commit murder again. I think in that circumstance, capital punishment would be acceptable because... You've been given your second chance at life. You've been given your rehabilitation. You've been given all the skills you need to leave prison and become a productive member of society and reintegrate. And if you still can't do that and you go out and commit murder again, 
the problem lies solely within you at that point. That isn't down to society failing you at some point. That's not down to the state failing you economically or you having poor education or anything like that. That is you actively being a bad person who has no place in society because you're a danger to it, which then, unfortunately, you do need to be removed in some formal way. If it's, I think that should be capital punishment. Some people may disagree and just think that should be long-term imprisonment. That depends down onto your basic moral justice. Um, but I believe in rehabilitation first before any kind of capital punishment or even treating the judicial system as a punishment. And it's been proven to work in Norway. When you do treat your judicial system as a educational facility to rehabilitate criminals, it does lower the um, reoffending rate massively. I've got a whole entire um, full article here of someone who's written a full paper about it, which we can slap into the description, which uh, explores a whole entire mythology in the Norwegian prisons, how the education is delivered, the impacts it's had, etc., etc. Um, it's a massive read, and it's definitely worth a look. So, don't quote me, if, but in Norwegian prisons, at the end of your sentence, don't they reevaluate to see if your sentence needs to be increased? Because I'm sure that's what they were going to do with Brevik. Because when that was I all in the I, news, I'm sure they said he's going to. He's been sentenced to something the maximum sentence, which is what 21 years. Yeah, it was 21. Yeah, 21 years. He'll go back into that court, and then they'll reevaluate it and say, right. He he literally has no chance of getting out. That's what they were saying. Because the way the system works is that when that 21 years is up, they'll turn around and probably look, well, actually, you need to do another 21 years. Yeah. Um, it, I believe it's the same down to education. If they can very clearly tell the whole entire time you've been in prison, you've been flunking off from your studying and everything like that, but you do have that evaluation... They will turn around and go, well, you've been here for five years and you've learned nothing, so you're staying. <laughs> yeah. It's important to you to learn and rehabilitate so you can reintegrate. And if you're going to flunk off, you're not being let out. Yeah. So my opinion, yeah, I do with um, sorry, just to, no, uh, just to clarify, I, I agree with you, Welshie, but at the same time, I think there's more that the judicial system can do to make sure these things don't happen again like in the sense of um it should be down to the courts to investigate whether this is going to have the potential of either whether the um prosecuted is going to have the potential to reoffend or whether it is worth just sacking him off because like it's, i'm going to sound like such a boomer now but when I was a kid, you could go out on the streets, you could go... I'd, I'd used to go to the park and everything on my own, right? But you don't see people doing that anymore. Especially... Like, especially That's because children. of COVID, Dan. No. Well, <laughs> no this is like... Okay, we'll go back, yeah, we'll pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, pre yeah. You wouldn't see children doing that on their own anymore. Because it seems there is a massive, massive wave of sexual predators out there. Well, it's like my parents wouldn't let me go out and play with my friends without any parental supervision until I was at the age of 12. See, I don't think you, you wouldn't see... You, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even expect to see 12-year-olds out now. 
where I'm at, you you do because they're white little fucking shits. <laughs> but no, no, no. Um, when when I have been back to the homeland, the old country, <laughs> um, I I see what you mean. You, you you do not really see many um, young people out and about, and he definitely feels like they're being sheltered away. But I suppose you also got the argument of we were the last generation to be more technologically detached. Yeah, there is that. Um, you sound like a boomer now, but youngsters these days, they're very attached to their technology. And if you're attached to your technology, there's no reason for you to be out yeah. because you can have all the fun and communication with your friends from your own home. Yeah. So that you've got part of that to look at as well. Uh, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, but okay, it, so we'll, we'll, we'll use that example, put that example aside there are in the news and in the media a hell of a lot more reportings of people that are sexually abusing and exploiting children and all this stuff that's going on as you've probably seen in the media and everything than there was 10 15 years ago oh I want to have a quick look at that, and now you mention it only because historically you can't use the media as a foundation in how much crime is truly happening in your yeah. country or world. So the media reports on what gets attention, and obviously off the back of everything to do with Jimmy Savile and Epstein, the big thing which gets attention at the moment isn't your small town paedophiles, you know, it's not fucking creepy Jason down the road who sniffs your daughter's hair when you walk past. <laughs> it's all high-class celebrities who they're reporting on, and that's where the attention is on these days. The thing and is, as when... well, though, you, you, I've heard of a number of, like, older-gen people, and they say you just you wouldn't hear of this. And whether that's, again, access to media and all sorts, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Um, when you have something so in your face continuously, it is very easy to get that misconception that it's happening more often, um, which is why it's really hard to gauge stuff like that just based on the news. Yeah. Really, you want to look properly into your crime statistics to see if that's increased or dropped. Because I think it was something to do with uh, sexual assault and rape. Even though sexual assault and rape was continuously shoved in our face by the news three or four years ago, it turned out that we was currently facing the lowest amount rates of sexual assault and rape in history. But you wouldn't think that because of how much that news was in your face. Um, and it's because at the time, that is what was selling news-wise. Um, which is why when it comes to something like what you're talking about now, it's very important to look at the facts first. Yeah. This being said, UK has the number of paedophiles in the UK surges to 300,000, and that was on 2nd of April 2020, so no, maybe it has. <laughs> um, almost four times more than thought. Let's have a look at this article if someone else wants to take over while I read into this. Well, again, yeah. um, the... My opinion, um, I agree with you, but um, I think it should be investigated by the courts. I think that's their then their responsibility to see, well, is this person rehabilitatable or are they a lost cause? Um, 
or just to give them a second chance. But it should be reserved for those that do that kind of thing. Uh, sexual predators, murderers. Um, there's just uh, there's I, uh, there's no room. There's no room for people like that in society, in my opinion. I would agree on the point of um, with using capital punishment that there is a lot of, especially in American law, there's a lot of blurred lines, which is quite scary. There are people on death row now who are charged with felony murder. So felony murder is when they go out to yeah, sort of commit an intended crime. They, um, for example, there is a girl who is currently on death row. I watched this uh, this program. I think it's interview with uh, or interview with a killer or something. And there is a girl who's on death row. She set up this guy to be mugged by someone. Uh, during the mugging, this guy shot the person, and the person died. And she is now charged with felony murder because she intended to set this crime up, and so she should be made to take the what happened as the uh, sort of the result of the crime cool. is now on her. No way. So she is charged with murder, and she's on death row. So there's a lot of sort of blurred lines where it's. You know, clearly she didn't intend for that to happen. She's so remorseful. She says, like, if I'd ever thought that would happen, I'd never have agreed to it. I just did it so I could get some money. I was broke. And so it's a real... So, yeah, it does need to be a case-by-case thing, very sort of strictly uh, sort of investigated, seem to. That is an interesting one, though. Like, she's, like, premeditated to cause harm yeah. on that person. Yeah, that's essentially what they say. You, you intended to commit a crime against this person. The extent of the crime ended up being a lot worse than you expected, but you intended the crime nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, there's like that um, girl in America, I forget her name, but she's on death row, I think, or she's incarcerated for life, I can't remember which, for killing her abuser. All right. Um... I'm sure there's a documentary on Netflix about it. Carry on while I just uh, while I find it is. No, it's fine. I'm having to find an Excel reader because as long as I've had this PC, apparently it turns out um, I don't have Excel. <laughs> and I've got the name. Sorry, is Cynthia Brown Long. Um, she was. She was 16 years old and a victim of sex trafficking at the time of the murder, claimed that uh, the abuser had paid her $150 to have sex with him and that she feared for her life during their encounter, leading her to shoot him. Yeah, but it's in cases like that, that that they do need to consider circumstance and individual things. It's, it can't be so black and white as to go, you did this, you're dying, you did this, you, you go to life imprisonment, you did this, you're free. Oh, she's actually out. Oh, she out there? Yeah. But, um, she was incarcerated, I think. Under her original sentence, she would have been eligible for parole at the age of 67. So she was in prison for a fucking long time. Like, a really long time. 
Um, and then I think they, uh, I think they exonerated her because of the uh, circumstances that she was actually being abused and that she was a victim of sex trafficking. Um, what were you looking for, Adam? I don't have Excel, and it wants me to pay for Excel, so I'm trying to find a free Excel viewer to quickly download on the fly, but I can't do it. So unless you, one of you guys wanted to look at it, but I do I've have... Excel, so... I'll send it over, but it's going back to what I was talking about originally. I have found where you can download and view the Office for National Statistics on sex offenders in the UK. Okay. So that's where we can truly find out if those statistics have dropped or not. So uh, we can put them in the description for people to look at um, themselves. Um, yeah, I'll, but... I'll do that because if I open it, then it's going to cover all of our faces and then people won't be able to see us. So <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, whatever. So I hate to clock watch again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've been going for a while now. Um, any final thoughts? I think capital. Oh, you go well, first, Jack. No, the, the only thing I, I'd just like to reiterate, as I said before, is nothing is black and white. Everything needs to be considered. I, I do agree um, with the use of it, but it's got to be very, very considered. There should be sort of a process and like processes on top of the processes. To determine whether they should be used. It's like um, Charlie Manson's original sentence was death penalty, but California uh, got rid of the death penalty like while he was on trial, I think. And so he just inevitably ended up. Um... No, his original sentence was for death, but I think a few years into his sentence, they got rid of it, and then they were like, "Okay, you've been reduced to life in prison." And this is a guy that technically never killed anyone. <laughs> he just got people to do his killing for him. So, no, that's it for me. I think it's a bit weird for me because I do agree with capital punishment in very specific circumstances, but I feel like the whole entire thing of capital punishment can be avoided if we just reevaluate at criminal justice system and how we treat criminals in a lot of the countries in the West, to be honest. Um, too much concentration is paid to the crime itself rather than why was the option to commit this crime actually viable for that criminal. Because hmm. if you can if you can eliminate the reason why that crime would be viable for that criminal, you pretty much get rid of any future instance of that crime happening again. And it seems like Norway kind of has it um, on the head in a sense of they think it is due to lack of education or due to economic uh, desperation. Um, and it's only seems to be mainly violent crimes or drug related crimes where there is high levels of reoffending. Um, and obviously when it comes to violent crimes, it's an entirely different kettle of fish really. Um, so it'd be quite interesting to see why there is such a high reoffender with violent crimes in Norway, if we had enough time to look into it and talk about it. But within capital punishment itself, I think it should just come down to that whole entire thing of everyone, to some extent, deserves a second chance. 
So we should provide those people the opportunity of a second chance for them to rehabilitate, to reintegrate and actually be a productive and useful member in society. And then if you fuck that up, depending what that crime is on that fuck up after that, then maybe for the benefit of society, capital punishment is um, justifiable. Mm. I think, yeah, I, I agree. It should be for the most heinous of cases. Like things that like can't go, again, people that can't be like, you know, rehabilitated and that serve really no purpose. Because I dis... I... I might upset people with what I say, but I do disagree with the idea of allowing the victim based on their emotions to decide what is the right approach to deal with a criminal. Because end of the day, if you're wronged, naturally you're going to come out of a very biased situation. And if someone wrongs you, depending on the severity of uh, how they've wronged you, you often want the worst case scenario towards them, whether it's fair or not, because you've been put into that situation, which wasn't fair upon you. And commonly you want it back. And emotions, I find, is a very flimsy and unsecure foundation for any contributical system. (laughs) It helps. It helps. Surely it helps and it needs to be a contributive factor. But I don't think it should be a dominating one. This is why we have no. the rule of law. This is why we have yeah. justice systems. It's like, you know, you follow the rules and you'll gracefully go through life, hopefully. But if you break them, you, then you've got to serve the punishment. But the punishment yeah. shouldn't be doled out by the, your next door neighbour. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, um, I'll openly talk about it. Back when I was 14, I was mowed at knife point. They was arrested, they went to court, they pleaded guilty. But if they was going to think of a sentence to give to them, um, based on my emotions, as a 14-year-old lad who was mugged at knife point, I was very happy going, no, fucking kill him. Thank God they didn't act. Thank God they didn't act based on my emotional reaction. Um, and I think that's quite important, really. Definitely if you have been in the situation where someone has wronged you in the past and you have time to reflect upon that um, a couple of years later to see how you feel like they should be punished at the time compared to looking back, reflecting on it and going, actually, because of how emotionally unstable I was because I'd been impacted by someone else's negative and violent actions, um, you form that really strict bias of thinking, well, if they're willing to fuck me over so hard, they should be fucked over harder. Mm. It's like heat at the moment, thoughts. That's yeah. Like, That's the reason why things like manslaughter happens. Yeah. And think yeah. about it, if you have capital punishment applied for manslaughter, how many people would be unfairly killed? Mm. Right. That's my view on it anyways. I think I think we can... Uh... I think we can stop there we've done well um guys uh thank you for joining us uh it's always a pleasure uh like us on instagram at jardcast um facebook at jardcast follow us on spotify uh we go out every friday night at six o'clock all the videos go out and like the broadcasts go out at six o'clock on friday youtube and spotify and other streaming services you'll find in our link tree um, please like, subscribe on YouTube, hit the bell icon to keep up to date with us. Um, 
And we'll see you again. Bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bye.